If you have your Bibles tonight, turn to Acts chapter 1. I noticed on uh, your pastor's Facebook that you have had believers meetings during the summer. And uh, those are always fun, aren't they? And they're a great experience. And I'm sure one of the reasons that you're doing that is so that you can get all more comfortable with yielding, flowing, whatever with the Holy Spirit so that you don't just do it in here, but you're doing it out there. If it doesn't work out there, it's not very sweet in here, is it? So uh, that's one of the reasons. So I want to just share something tonight. I believe that we'll connect with that. And uh, what time do you usually get done? Ten? Nine? Oh, they're a big help. I better ask you. 630. 630, yeah. Okay, I'll just go as long as I want to. No, I don't I don't want to do that. I want to go to what should be. Are you done 730 or 8 or 7? Really that long? Wow, okay. Well, you guys are way better than most places. We go. See, here's the problem. You know, I used to be afraid to get up here. And I mean, the first time that I went to a minister even in, in Terre Haute, you know, they said, well, I had to do, you know, morning service, evening service, and a Wednesday night service or something like that. And uh, I thought, man, I, I don't talk 45 minutes in a week. So what am I going to say for 45 minutes three times? And, uh, I mean, that made me a little nervous. I was prepared, but... Uh, you know, we'd done Bible studies, but I really, until we went to pastor, I had not done much pulpit ministry. And uh, so Terre Haute got the brunt of that. But, uh, you know, sometimes you wonder why God sends you so you can learn. And hopefully you don't destroy too many people in the meantime. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, I, I, you know, I used to wonder what I could say, how, what could I possibly say that would take 45 minutes. Now I can't even get an introduction done in 45 minutes. <laughs> Now I'm so used to teaching classes, you know, for Bible school that some, some weeks, you know, when we teach at our school in Bonn, we'll have morning classes and we teach in blocks. So we may teach three hours each morning and then we go somewhere else and we do a weekend school on a Friday and a Saturday, teach 12 more hours. So from Monday through till Saturday, we teach 25 hours. And that's, that's enough for one week. And then sometimes you do that the next week. Uh, so now I'm so used to teaching classes that maybe last 12 hours that when I get 45 minutes or something, I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to fit that in? So you're going to have to listen faster than I'm getting anywhere tonight. Acts chapter 1. Now the good news is, if I can keep on track, you're, you're a well-taught church. You know how to pray and you're committed. That makes my job very, very easy. I love that. Um, but every commitment needs some encouragement from time to time. And and sometimes when another person comes in to minister, they just say it different than even your pastor might say it, and it clicks with you. It's something maybe you've heard over and over and over. Uh, I mean, when we were pastoring in Indiana, I had a guy come to me one time and said, oh, pastor, I was listening to Marilyn Hickey, and she said, this is, man, this is great, and going on and on. I said, I say that all the time. But whatever, if it took Merrill and Hickey to get it to you, fine. So I'll just play Merrill and Hickey tonight. You can tell, right? This would horrify her. Anyhow, what I'm going to share 
is I just want to talk a little bit about our authority as believers tonight. All right? Just some scriptures and some thoughts on that that I think will help you as you go out into the world as a believer so that you can reach this generation better. All right? And it's just one of those five or six pillars in our spiritual life that, that we have to know about. You know, we have faith in God. We know that healing belongs to us. We know that we must have a life of prayer. We know that we must walk in love. And then there's a bunch of other things. But the, one of the real important things for us to, to know is that we have authority on this earth as a believer. Not over each other. That's an important point. But, I mean, sometimes we'd like to have that, wouldn't we? I would like to have it driving. I wish I had authority to say, you pull over and never drive again. But... <clears throat> doesn't seem that we get the ones we always want, does it? <laughs> Anyhow, so it just fits in that category. And it's, it's part of our redemptive rights and responsibility as a believer. Something that we need to not just know, but something we need to do more with, I think, in the earth. So um, there's two reasons that I just want to mention tonight why God gave us this authority that he gave us. Number one, we have an enemy. Right? When I was a young Christian, and before I was a Christian, of course, I didn't know we had an enemy. Um, I should have recognized it based on what was happening around me, but I didn't. So I didn't know that we had an enemy. And the number two reason is because we have a mission. And I don't want to talk so much about the enemy side tonight, but more about the mission side that we have and how we can use our authority to reach our generation for Christ. Because the church today is, is looking out and has tried everything but the Bible. We, you know, there's nothing wrong with programs. Everyone has them. Um, but there are some ways that we can reach out and not just to grow our church, but to grow the kingdom of God uh, that God has given to us and to nobody else. And we just have to understand it just a little bit more and be brave enough to act upon it. And I think what we could do even in this town would be incredible. So that's just what I want to talk about tonight. <clears throat> so Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You all know this verse. It says, But you shall receive power, strength, or ability when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witness to, witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So has anybody got that all down yet? Probably not, right? We have used this verse, partially, correctly, just to get people filled with the Spirit. But then we forgot about why we got filled. And that when, when we get born again and then filled with the Spirit, it should change the, how we see the world. That when we look out upon the world, we know that we are the answer for this lost and dying and very dark world. That God has made us a light unto this world. Sometimes when I go into churches, I ask the question, don't answer anybody, okay? Who, you know, who's the light of the world? Because if I let people answer, I'll hear as many Jesus as I, as I hear we are. Right? Jesus said that as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But now you are the light of the world. Right? He's not here in person. He's here in spirit living in us. So if he's going to be a light unto the world, it can only happen if he is shining through us. And he has given us all sorts of tools or in our toolbox keys on our key ring that can help our light shine brighter so that this dark world will be a little bit attracted to us and uh, come to Christ. And so in, if we unwrap a little bit part of our redemptive rights uh, that, that came to us when we got born again, 
uh, in the authority of the believer is one of those, we can see how we can use that a little bit more effectively out in the world. So, um, how many of you know Jesus is coming soon? If you were here, um, you probably know Michelle's, my wife's Michelle, her brother is Joe Morris. You know Joe, don't you? Yeah, don't hold it against me. (laughs) He wasn't in the ministry when we got married. (laughs) No, No, we love Joe. We have him over to Europe as often as we can also. We believe he's got a gift that the body of Christ needs. And so we like to get him around there as much as possible too. But if you if you ever listen to Joe, you'll know that Jesus is coming soon, won't you? He's good about that. Why is he waiting? Why hasn't he come back yet? I mean, if all the scriptures have been fulfilled, you know, what's left? The, the harvest, right? Yeah, that's our mission. So he's waiting for us to do our job so that he can come back and, and, and take us with him. And I'm sure looking forward to that. I don't know about you. Um, devil's trying to hold hold all that back, and that's, like I say, one of the reasons we use our authority. Um, as I said, growing up, I did not know anything about Christianity. I didn't even know a Christian, probably till I was 15 years old, as far as I know. And uh, I didn't know any missionaries. I didn't know anything about church. And so sometimes, because of that, my view or approach to church, missionaries, ministers is sometimes less traditional than people that grew up in church. I had no good doctrine and I had no bad doctrine, right? Sometimes that's a pretty good benefit, isn't it? I had to start, I got to start out with a pretty clean slate. The first church that I went to was a denominational church, very nice group of people, but they didn't know anything, right? They didn't know their Bibles like you know your Bible. They didn't know the authority of God's word like you know the authority of God's word. And uh, so lovely group of people, but You know, like Hosea said, you know, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And the devil was eating them up, you know, in just all the little ways. And, uh, but I love that group because that's where I went, you know, as a a young Christian. But I kept reading my Bible. And uh, so, you know, about three years after I had been saved and, you know, I got courage enough one day to, to raise my hands during worship about this far. You know, and that was, that took all the courage that I had. You know, to to do that far. And I thought everybody in the world is looking at me. (laughs) So, you know, and some people get saved and they're just like, yeah, and they're jumping around. Not me. I was like, "Eh, eh." (laughs) So, after church that day, the elders invited me out to lunch. And I thought, gosh, that's great. The elders are taking me out to lunch. And uh, so we went out to lunch and they got talking a little bit. And they said, John, we noticed today that you raised your hands during worship. Of course, you would be thinking like I am, what would you have your eyes open for? But I said, yes, I did. And they said, well, we just believe that you can raise your hands in your heart. So, you know, I'm 20 years old. These are the elders. And I'm thinking right there, you know, either I give in to this or I have to stand up for what I believe is right. And I, I did it because I saw it in the Bible. And I said, you know, quite honestly, I don't understand what that means. I said, I think that the Bible is pretty clear that you can raise your hands to God in worship and adoration. I think that's pretty clear. And so we talked about a little while, and at the end of the conversation, they suggested that I would probably be more comfortable in another church. 
You know, that's one of my great testimonies. Praise the Lord. I got kicked out of that church, and it might have been the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> they didn't actually kick me out. They just suggested that I would find somewhere more comfortable. And I, I don't know if that's what I found at first, because the next church I went to, they were completely radical. They were the complete opposite of that group. But, I mean, they worshiped, they jumped, they danced, they ran, and uh, the whole deal. They spoke in tongues and all, everything. So, I, you know, and some of this was all new to me, but I sure enjoyed it. And uh, so, anyhow, you know, things change in life, don't they? And I'm thankful for all that I learned there. But as a, as a, as a kid, you know, growing up, I grew up in a home with an alcoholic mother and a workaholic father. Not a good combination. Getting saved helps tremendously. Uh, so by the time I was, you know, about 15 or 16 years old, and we had moved from Wisconsin out to Colorado, and my particular class uh, where I went to high school was full of Christians. Not the class above, not the class below, but my class was full of Christians. And pretty much from the day that I arrived in that school, they started sharing the gospel with me. I'd never heard it before, you know, and so here they, these people are, they're just all sharing, you know, their faith with me, and, and these are teenagers. Uh, so I was like, well, I don't even know what all this is. I mean, it really was so new to me, but um, I liked all these people. I wasn't really ready to, to accept Christ because I didn't know enough about it to make that decision yet, but they shared and shared and shared and shared and invited me to Bible studies and all that kind of stuff for a whole year, and I said, no, 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 no. I just, you know, I wasn't ready to give in to that because of, what I'd, because of the way I had grown up, my whole view of life was a little bit sour, and I had never seen a good marriage, not one. My parents sure didn't have one. They had lots of money lived in a very big house out on a beautiful lake. You had everything you could ever want materially and zero happiness and zero purpose in life. Yeah. Would have been a nice combination to have both, right? You can have both. That's not the issue. But my parents only had one of those things. And uh, so I knew that money really wasn't the answer uh, for life. It wasn't the thing worth pursuing, you know, with all of your life. So I didn't see a good marriage. And I, when you don't see a good marriage, you don't see good kids for the most part. So I had pretty much come to the conclusion by the time I was 16 that there was no point in getting married and there was sure no point in having kids. Why get married to somebody and ruin their life? Because that's what I saw everybody else doing. So I wasn't suicidal. I just didn't see any purpose in, in the way people were living. So when we moved to uh, Greeley, Colorado, and all these people started sharing with me, I didn't see that that was the answer that God had in mind for me. So it took a little while, and finally, just, just before I graduated from high school, I finally accepted the invitation to go to Bible study one night. I did, and went four weeks in a row, and after four weeks of the Bible study, right a week after high school, I, I went back to my own place. I moved out of our, the house I lived in just the day I graduated from high school, and uh, laying in my own bed, I received Christ. And, you know, he, but I wasn't looking for just something that would just get me to heaven. I wanted something that would change this life. Because if I couldn't, if, if what this decision wasn't going to do was bring purpose uh, and meaning into this life, it's, it just wasn't worth enough for me. So uh, when I made that decision to, re to receive Christ, I knew that it was going to change my life. And, you know, so I can stand here today and say my life was absolutely transformed. I am not the person that I was. 
You know, God changed me by His Word and by His Spirit. And, and He's wanting to do that. You know very well with every other person outside of this building tonight. He wants to reach them, and He has given us the tools to do it. So, um, let's turn over to Proverbs chapter 29 for a moment. You can or you can just listen whichever way you want to do it. I'm just going to paraphrase this verse a little anyhow. So, he gets us saved, he gets us filled with the Spirit for a purpose. And, and so our view when we look out to the world should be different. So that we are his witnesses. We can live the kind of life that would, that would be a witness unto to him and to the world. And the Holy Spirit helps us do that. <clears throat> Gives us the strength, the ability. Now Proverbs 29.18, you know, a lot of different translations here, different ways they say it. Some say where there is no vision or prophetic vision, you know, people perish or they run without restraint or different ways they say it. This is he who keeps the law is happy. I like the way the Amplified starts it out. It says where there is no redemptive revelation of God. And then some translations add the people run wild. Sometimes why do we not know what to do as believers even? Because we don't have a redemptive revelation of who we are in Christ what belongs to us in Christ, what we can do in Christ. So we may run all over trying to find the way to do the things that God wants us to do. And certainly a person that's not born again has no redemptive revelation. And that's why we look out on the world today and it's wild. I mean, people are running in every direction. Everything is okay. You know, it's, there's no right, there's no wrong anymore. Just do whatever feels good. That's wild. Why? Because there's no redemptive revelation of God. So that's what God wants us to bring to this world. And we can do that. And just one of those tools, again, is the authority that we've been given as believers. Now, what, what is authority? You probably know all this, but it, since it's going to be on the uh, audio version, I don't want people to think I don't know it. Um, what is authority? Well, it's delegated power. That's one. Uh, I like this one, freedom to act. Have we been given a freedom to act as believers upon the earth that sometimes we don't know about? If you've ever read Kenneth E. Hagin's book on the authority of the believer, I mean, he states in there, you know, that the church has an authority that we really don't know and that we really aren't using. So, if I'm sure that you know that you can lead someone to Christ anytime you want, as long as they're willing, right? Can't, can't override their will. But any time that they want, or any time you want, you, and they're willing, you can lead a person to Christ. There's no restrictions. Because he already gave us the command, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Right? Make disciples. That's something we can do any time. What else can we do any time? Is that it? Or do we have some other possibilities? What about laying hands on the sick? Can we do that? Anytime somebody's willing at least, right? We can lay hands on the sick. And do you have to lay both hands on their head, speak in tongues, <laughs> shout loud, and command them to be healed? No. No? I mean, Jesus, when, when the little girl, when Jairus' daughter was dead, what did he do? Just took her by the hand and said, arise. <laughs> One word. And she did. How, how could he do that? Well, he knew that he had dominion and authority upon the earth. You know, that when God created man, that was the first gift that he gave us, was dominion and authority upon the earth. I think that's key. 
Well, and like I said, he, we, he did that for a couple of reasons. One, at that time, because he had an enemy. He said, you're going to have to guard and keep your garden. You can't do that without authority. Whatever is in your domain, you have to use your authority to protect. You know, t- today, we would think it would be absolutely ludicrous for somebody just to come walking in our house without us giving them permission, Right? But we do it in all sorts of other ways. We let things into our life. We let the attacks come physically. Why? Because the TV says it's flu season. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it must be. This is the temple of the Holy Ghost, right? Paul said, know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. So why do we allow things into our bodies? That we, We wouldn't allow something into our house. But how are you going to keep it out of your body? You're going to have to use your authority. This is your body. You have the authority over it. It's, it what goes in here is up to us. All right? I met a lady at Cracker Barrel a year or two ago. She wins the prize. She's the first one tonight. Everybody else is checking their phones now, right? We're in the, you know, this never used to happen when we didn't have cell phones. Now it happens, no big deal. Anyway, where was I? Cracker. Cracker Barrel, thank you. So I go into Cracker Barrel, and uh, my throat was a little, or my voice was a little hoarse. You know, so sometimes, you know, when I come back, and if I'm in a drier climate, i got a couple of days where I'm adjusting to that. And uh, so the lady says to me, she goes, are you sick? I said, no, I'm not sick. I mean, for one, I would never confess that. Right. Never. You could pull my teeth out and I'm not going to confess that I'm sick. Why? Because I've been redeemed. Jesus became my substitute. That's worse than swearing. Right? Let, let the weak say I am strong. Let the sick say I am healed. Right? So that's just, those are swear words in our house. You do not say stuff like that. You can come up with anything else, but don't say that. Right? Right? I'm the healed of the Lord. And uh, so she says, you sick? I said, no, I'm not. And... Uh, so we got talking. She goes, you know, and we talked long enough by where I could find out whether she was a Christian or not. She wasn't. But she said, you know, um, th- she goes, you know what? This is my body. And she goes, I tell my body that it can't get sick. Here's an unbeliever. She's figured that out. She said, I had a friend who had cancer, and I told her every day to talk to her and tell her, you get out of my body. You have no right to be here. I said, good for you. I said, you know, I'm thinking most of the Christians I know haven't figured that one out yet. Right? But why, why can we do that? Because God gave us dominion and authority upon the earth. And according to Mark 11:23 23 and 24, we can have what we say and we have absolute authority in our own life. Now, I don't have absolute authority in your life. You can, lend, you, can, you can give some to me that if I ask, is it all right if I pray for you, and you say yes, then you have given me a big avenue into your life. That's why when, the, uh, when people say, you know, I have a relative up in the hospital, would you go pray for them? First question is, do they want me to come? Why? Because I don't have any authority up there if they don't want me to come. Right? And this is spiritual authority, not natural authority. So if they, will, if they want me to come, they know I'm going to pray. They know I'm going to pray for their healing. If I know that's okay with them, then I have a wide open door to get there. If not, very little I can do. I can still pray to God. 
I can still ask him to work in their life. But I don't have the direct route that God would like for me to have into their life. Right? So I have absolute authority in my own life, but I don't have absolute authority in somebody else's life. As a family, you know, we can share some of that. And with our kids, especially when they're small, we have almost absolute authority. But then what happens is, as they grow older, parents think they don't have any authority. So their kids are telling them what to do instead of them telling their kids what to do. That's a popular message, isn't it? Anyhow. (laughs) Yeah. Praise the Lord. Let's go look at another scripture before I get myself in trouble. Um, well, you don't have to turn to this one. Let me mention this, though. Um, you, you might be familiar with George Barna. He takes a, does a whole lot of uh, surveys and research you know, in the Christian world. A couple of years ago, he had a list of questions that you could answer online, and it, was a, it would determine you know, at the end, whether you had, as a Christian, whether you had a biblical view of the world that you live in. So, very interesting. Not many questions, just a few things. At the end, it was determined that really less than 10% of the Christians in America had a biblical view of the world. That's not good. You're in the other percentage, just so you know. But there's other churches that don't. That means a couple of things. Number one, that they have a worldly view of the Bible. That, ne- that will never help you when you read the Word. If that's, your, if that's the glasses that you look through when you read the Scriptures, you'll never see yourself as God wants you to see you. So you have a, a worldly view of the Bible, and you'll have no redemptive revelation of God. In which case, you know, then that, that person is going to miss out on the things that God wants for them and has for them that when they got born again and filled with the Spirit, that He had designed them in them so that they could reach out to this lost and dying world. It won't work for them. So uh, that's why your pastor and people like us were always going around, you know, saying, read the Bible. Get in the Word. Pray. And we say it over and over and over. Speak the Word. We're always saying those kind of things. Why? Because it's necessary if if we're going to be the kind of people that God really wants us to be. One of the first things that happens where authority is concerned is the devil and the world and even the church seems like they're trying to take away the authority of the scriptures. It's happening all over today. And if, if, if somebody can get you to believe that the scripture is not the final authority, then nothing else works. Right? All your authority is gone. Because our authority is is based upon his word, right? That's a simple one. But anyhow, our authority will help us take redemption to our generation. You remember what Jesus said in John 14, 12, where he said, the works that I do, you shall do also, and greater works than these shall you do. Of course, the first thing we do is we jump over to, yeah, what are those greater works? Forget that. I don't even know the answer. But what are the works? Let's just do what he did. What did he do? Well, when he got around the lame, they walked. Around the blind, they saw. The deaf, they heard. He cast out devils when they came across him. Wasn't chasing them, but when they were there, he got rid of them. When he was, when he was in the midst of a storm, he spoke to the wind and to the sea, and it was calm. Wow. He spoke to trees, and they obeyed him. Now, I don't know if you need to speak to any trees, but the point is right, that he used his authority as a person filled with the Spirit upon the earth, and things happened. Things changed. Now, you know, um, 
Probably over the years you've either thought this question, had this question, or heard this question, or thought. When I was, this first church that I was a part of, because they really didn't know the Bible, um, like I said, wonderful people didn't know the Bible. I want to make sure if anybody ever hears that, that they know I said it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, as a young Christian, I heard some things that I'd never heard before. I heard some sayings um, that, you know, as a young Christian sounded good. They sounded like something a Christian would say. You know, and they'd talk about, you know, somebody in their life and something that maybe was going wrong, maybe it was sickness, maybe it was a job. And then they would always end off the sentence with, but God is in control. Because that's what Christians say when they don't know how to end a sentence. <laughs> You know, and of course you think, well, God is in control. Yeah, he's God. That sounds right, doesn't it? Sounds right. And so for a while I was there and you'd kind of go, okay, I guess, because I didn't know any better. You know, but then they'd also say things like, you know, when they didn't know what else to say, well, you know, God's ways are higher than, than our ways. And that. So they'd quote out of Isaiah 55, not out of 1 Corinthians, where it finishes, but God has given us his spirit. Right? Who wants to show us and give us everything? So they, they, but they never read that part. They got stuck back there in Isaiah 55 or so. So they, but they would say this God is in control. So, you know, I heard this thing over the years. And then as a Christian growing, you know, you know, I'd hear other people say that. And this bothered me because, okay, like I said, my viewpoint sometimes is different than others because I didn't grow up in church. And, uh, so I would hear people say, well, God is in control. And I thought, have you looked outside lately? It's a mess. If he's in control of that, do I really want to serve him? That was my thinking. So why would I want to serve a God that couldn't do any better than that? People are starving. They're dying. There's just plain bad people all over the place. There's natural disasters. You know, how is he in control? So a couple of years ago when they had this big tsunami in the Pacific, you know, and I'm sitting in Germany watching Fox on television, and they're interviewing all the big-name preachers from America, and they're on there saying why it happened, and I'm going, no, no, no. I know the answer. Ask calling me, calling me, calling me. And they didn't. Right there in my chair, ready to answer the question, and they wouldn't pay attention to it. We should know that. We should know the answers to those things. You know, so, you know, one of my sisters called me many years ago and she said, you know, because some things have been happening in her life. She said, John, if God is a loving God, why can he, why does he allow so many bad things to happen? Right. And probably every Christian's thought that at some time or another. Do we know how to answer that question? Because it fits into the boundaries of this whole authority thing. Right. So I said, I can tell you the answer to that. And so we talked about it for a while, and I'll give the short version here. But um, see, people ask that question, you know, if God's a loving God, why does he allow so many bad things to happen? And, and, and this bothered me as an early, as a young Christian, so that I studied and, and thought about it and realized finally it's the wrong question. There's no good answer to that one. Okay? But the, the answer or the right question is, if the church is a loving church that has been given all of this authority, why do we allow so many bad things to happen? Yeah, I didn't like the answer any better than anybody else. But it is the answer, isn't it? We've been given all this authority, but we never use it. You say, so could we have stopped that tsunami in the Pacific? Well, maybe. But here's how. What, what do we know from Scripture? When Jesus was in the midst of the storm... 
he could use his authority. Was he using it on the other side of the world? Well, not that we know of. But when it, when it affected him directly, for sure. Maybe we can reach it out further than that. But what we do know for sure is if that storm is, is coming to you and your family, you can use your authority. You have the right to do something about it. You mean I could stand there in the midst of that and say that? Yeah, that's what I mean. What if I'm wrong? <laughs> well, you go to heaven. <laughs> But see, that's why people all the time say, well, but what if I pray for somebody and they don't get healed? Well, what if they do? Right. <laughs> you know, well, I didn't feel real anointed. Well, welcome to the club. <laughs> How often do you feel anointed when you pray for somebody? You know, that's not, it's not about feeling anointed. It's about exercising an authority that God gave us. Right. Out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water. And one of those, for instance, is healing. Why? Because he, he gave us that so we could do that. That's why he filled us with his spirit. Gave us this authority so that we could go out and we could pray for other people. It's one of the great tools that we have to bring light to this generation. Anyhow, let's look at just a couple more scriptures and then I'll be done. Let me just add this. Um... Because, and I know this isn't an issue here, but this, maybe this will help you with, your, with some of your Christian friends. Because a lot of the body of Christ talks a lot about sovereignty. And is God sovereign? Yes, for sure he's sovereign. I mean, but what people think that means then is that God can do whatever he wants, when he wants, how he wants. That's what they think sovereignty means, right? So then, because it's easier then to say, well, whatever happened, it was him because he's sovereign. But here's the problem with that, of course, and you know it. He gave us his word. And, and God is not a man that he should lie. And when he gives his word and he gives man authority, he cannot usurp it. He can't take it back. See, that, that's a, character, a very costly char- characteristic of man, but not of God. So is he sovereign? Yeah, he's so sovereign that he gave us his word. And he said, this is how I'm going to live. This is what I'm going to expect. This is what you can do. Um, so when people talk about sovereignty then, they get that mixed up, don't they? God is sovereign, yes, but he gave us his word. I want you to just turn to Matthew 28. You know these verses. I'm not going to read any verses that you don't know here. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Well, that's a good deal. He has it all. What did he do with it, right? He says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth, end of the age. And, you know, that should be a wow for us as Christians. I mean, he had all this authority, and then he just turned right around and gave us the power of attorney. I used years ago. I used to sell real estate, and uh, I liked doing that. It was it was a it was a good profession, and uh, but I remember because I got my real estate license when I was 19, and you know how many people want to buy homes from 19 year olds? <laughs> I thought it was a great idea. Not all of them thought it was a very good idea. Anyhow, so I about starved for a few years there, but 
the first time that somebody had to be out of town when it was time to close the house, what did they do? Cancel the closing? No, they gave me a power of attorney to sign the documents in their place. Right? It was a limited power of attorney. And on the document it stated, you know, the exact uh, legal address and description of the property and said that I had been given permission by them to sign any papers, you know, for the purchase or sale of that piece of property. I couldn't sell their car. I couldn't go into their bank accounts. But I could deal with that piece of property. So it was a limited power of, of attorney. But here Jesus gave us an unlimited power of attorney. That everything that he did, he said, now you go and do it. Right? And you know, he said, you don't have to do it on your own. I'm going to give you the Spirit of God. Right? So here we are as humans, and he gives us his Spirit. And he says, now go do everything that I did. So when we read through the Gospels, we see how he walked. We see how he talked. We see how he acted, everything that he did. And that's our example of what we can do in this life. He made it look very easy, didn't he? But he had, a, he had a very intimate relationship with his heavenly father. And he knew the scriptures. That's the same recipe we have, isn't it? We know the scriptures. We have a relationship with our heavenly father. And so that we can just simply go out so that we can do all the works that he did. The same results that he had, we can have also. We have the right to exercise the power that he has given to us. And he wants us to do that. Now, okay, we'll finish here then. Luke chapter 10. Oh, man. Luke chapter 10. And uh, I just want to mention some things about the early verses here. And in verse 1, you know where this is where he appoints 70 to go. Just like we've been appointed to go, right? Why did he appoint them to go out? Wasn't he doing a good job? Yes, yeah, sure he was. But he couldn't do it by himself. Job was too big, still too big. So he appoints the first 70. And in verse 2, we find out the reason that he sends them out is because the harvest is great and the laborers are few. So he commissions them and empowers them to go out. Like I said, this is just an encouragement tonight on some things you already know. And then we jump down to verse 17. And it says that the 70 return with joy and even the demons are, he said, they said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They're excited about that. I mean, this is kind of a new experience. They saw it with him, but now they're seeing it with them. Have you ever had the thoughts, you know, what would I do if I came across somebody that was demon possessed? You know, how would I act? How would I react? What would I say? You should think about it. You maybe even dream about it if you can and see yourself doing that. When you come across a person that is, that is possessed, you know, what would you do? Are you going to be afraid? Because some people are. Some Christians are afraid of, of what to do. Maybe because they don't know or they're still afraid of the devil. How much fear should we have of the devil? Zero. Zero. Well, you're good. So anyhow, then verse 19, he said, Behold, I give to you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of any kind of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Hmm. All power. Do you feel all powerful tonight? You know, I'm not superheroes, but believers filled with the Spirit of God. We have His power residing in us. Why? Because we're carriers Right? We're carriers of not containers, but carriers. Now, 
look at it this way also. Well, let me finish this because you, you can't read these verses without finishing verse 20. So this, the, the disciples come back all excited about the power they've been given, and Jesus puts it all in perspective here. And he says in verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Right? He put it in perspective. He said, authority is normal. People getting born again, that's rejoicing material. Right? We've had that backwards. Just like the disciples came back all excited about the, the power that they saw. But he said, no, 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 no. He goes, really, your name that's written in heaven, that's what's exciting. So we have to keep that in perspective. Um, what was I going to say about that? It'll come back to me. While I'm thinking about it, then just go to Matthew 16. Oh, I know what it was. Yeah. When, when God created man, and, he, and uh, so Adam and Eve come on the scene, and what, what did they do? They yielded to Satan. They yielded to sin, right? When they did that, did God lose any of his power? No, he was still all-powerful. What did he lose? He lost the channel for his power into the earth, right? And that was coming through man. Because man had been given dominion and authority, and we yielded that to our enemy, to God's enemy, the one who had been kicked out of heaven. It wasn't a battle in heaven, remember, when Satan got kicked out. It was like lightning that he left heaven. When he decided to rebel against God, God didn't go, oh, call the prayer warriors. What are we going to do? You know, he basically sat back, laughed a little bit, and it was over. Rebellion in heaven didn't last very long. Right? Why? Because, number one, God had the authority and the power to back it up. Right? We have the authority here on the earth, and he'll back us up with his power every time. Right? These signs shall follow those that believe. So what is it that God wants us to do every day out there? What, what will he do with us? You know these verses in Matthew 16. Verse 18, this is... He says, and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, right? That rock of revelation, redemptive revelation of who God is. Build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I love this verse because that's what God is doing today. That's what Jesus is doing. Today. He's building the church, right? And if that's what he's doing, that's what we must be doing. He says, and so right after that, he says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Right? Whatever we allow, he will allow. Whatever we forbid, he will forbid. If we know that for a fact, that that's the, what he believes, that's what he thinks, and he said, just, what is it you want now? He says, what will you allow? I'll allow. What will you forbid? I'll forbid. Because sometimes Christians go around going, saying, I bind you, devil. Well, that's okay, but that's a principle. Right? And it's okay to speak a principle, but then how do you actually bind the devil? Well, you have to use God's word, right? Isn't that what Jesus did, you know, when he was out in the wilderness, tempted of the devil? He didn't, every time a temptation came along, he didn't just say, I bind you, devil. I bind you, devil. No, it was more than that. He spoke a specific promise of God's word that counteracted the temptation, and that bound the devil in his life. In effect, he said, I will not allow that. And so God could say, I won't allow it either. 
So that's, again, that verse right after he said he'll build a church, it's God instructing us about our authority again. So, praise the Lord. This is just a reminder tonight of what God has done for us, that we are the channels of his power. That, you know, we can never really separate faith and authority from one another. They always seem to travel together and other things too. I mean, faith and healing are the same way. But he wants us to, to take what we have and go out into the world more. That, it, um, that we have the boldness when we see coworkers that are sick, whether it be a small thing or cancer, that we, that we take the first step and say, could I pray for you? I met somebody just uh, two weeks ago when I was in Longmont. I was pulling into the parking lot of a, Longmont, Colorado. I was pulling into the parking lot of a church there, and I was pulling in slow because they're doing construction on the building. And uh, so I wasn't sure exactly where I was going to pull in to be out of the way. So I'm pulling in slow, and I had uh, our two boys with us. And uh, one of them said, Dad, i got to go to the bathroom. So he ran into the church building, and the other one followed in. And uh, right when I got out of the vehicle... Uh, next to me, somebody says, hey. And I look over, and it's a guy that I knew from high school. I've seen him a couple of times since then, not many. And you know, he, I knew that he had become a Christian. And he said, hey, I saw you pulling into the parking lot. I was just driving down the street here. And uh, so we talked for a minute and just about a few things. And he said, you know, maybe this is a divine appointment. He says, I, you know, I've, the doctor said I've got a degenerative hip disease and he says, I've had pain for a long time. You know, I have a hard time moving like I was doing. And because he'd always been a very uh, physical person. He was an athlete and went to CU on a football scholarship and everything like that. And so he said, I just have had, you know, it's been bad. And he said, would you pray with me? I said, well, I will. But I said, you know your authority. I know you know some about this. And so instead of just praying, we're going to speak to it. Let's just grab hands right now. And I just leaned in through the car window. We grabbed hands and then we just spoke to his hips, his joints, and everything else that they should do and be exactly what the way God created them to be. Amen. And then I said, you know, I'm sorry, i got to go. I have a meeting with the pastor. And so we said goodbye. So he just wrote me about, uh, about four or five days ago. I got an email from him and he said, I just wanted to tell you, I have had no pain in my hips. So we really didn't pray. We just simply agreed and used our authority, and it was that quick. I felt no anointing. I didn't have to do the Pentecostal chicken out in the parking lot. I had none of that. All right? So don't wait to feel anointed. The anointing abides within us, right? All you got to do sometimes is grab somebody's hand if they'll allow you to pray for them, and, just, and you just speak to their body. I command them to be whole, whatever that is, whether it's cancer that needs to leave their body. I don't care whether it's flu, whatever it is. You know, just be brave enough to say, I just, in the name of Jesus, I command this body to be whole. I call that cancer dead and dried up from the very every cell that is in there. In Jesus' name. See how short you can pray. When you use your authority, you don't need to take a long time and make a show. Because sometimes people aren't sure how to do that, so they get real nervous. You know, what should I do and how long do I have to pray? What do I have to say? Say what you would say, right? There's no perfect words there. Just let God use you the way you are and just simply grab somebody's hands. Like I say, you don't have to give them a new hairdo, <laughs> shaking them all over the place. Some of us need it, but every time I go to the 
guy that cuts my hair, he says, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I want it thicker with more body. <laughs> He's obviously not very good, is he? <laughs> so then they gave you that mirror and look around, and I said, you did it again. <laughs> Bye. So just, you know, let's get in the habit of just doing things like that. It's one really good place. There are so many sick people out there today that if we'll just if we'll just let God use us, he'll meet us right there. And we will see people healed all over the place. And that's better than any church program we could ever come up with. I mean, you know what? They might actually want to come here with you then. Yeah. Does this happen? And you just say, well, this kind of stuff happens with people in our church all the time. They might think, huh, that doesn't sound so bad. You know, I heard they were crazy, but that doesn't sound so bad. Right? Because, you know, when people get healed, their heart opens up. You don't even have to lead them to Christ first. Get them healed first, and they'll probably come to Christ easier. Right? You all know that. But anyhow, I just want to encourage you in that tonight. That when you do that, you're not, you're not praying as a, as a human just down here hoping that God will do something in their life. No, you are seated in heavenly places in Christ. And when you speak God's word, when you use your authority, it is from that supreme place of authority in heaven. You can do wonders from there. We all can. And, that's what, and God's just waiting for us. We're not waiting on him for anything, right? You want revival? Start right here, right? You can have your own revival at work, in your neighborhood. God puts you right there so you could be a light to those people. Amen.